Has the winter season taken a toll on your tile, upholstery, carpet? Call Cyclone Cleaners, 570-726-6200. For all your carpet, upholstery, and ceramic tile cleaning needs, it's Cyclone Cleaners. Also offering odor treatment and soil and stain guard. Choose the only cleaning company that supplies the water to clean your home and disposes of it when they are finished. Call Cyclone Cleaners to schedule your cleaning today, 570-726-6200. Okay, happy Monday, everybody. We are back in Adam, uh, figuratively. Literally. And literally with me. Um, I wanted to make this episode intro uh, a very special one because we have a guest with us today that uh, holds a good place in my heart. Uh, a friend of mine, I, or I can, I'm safe to call him a friend now. I've known him for <laughs> close to six or seven years now. Um, and uh, I've kind of followed his journey from uh, trainer to... Olympic athlete to uh, just an overall great, great supporter and philanthropist of, of all things sports, health, and wellness. And uh, I'm excited that we have our wonderful Mr. John Mack McDonald here to join us. And I'm really happy you're with us, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me, guys. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, John is our trainer. He's training both me and Adam right now. We're in the gym working hard. I know you guys have seen us on uh, Instagram uh, doing the thing at Vive. And John is actually a co-owner of Vive. And John, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, tell us about Vive. Tell us everything. All right, so I've been training. Vi's been open four years. <laughs> How long I've been training, you could pretty much say since I've been in uh, senior in college. So it's been over 13 years that I've been uh, in training or personal training or coaching in some aspect, working with other people. Um, you know, it's always a, it was always a passion of mine. I mean, I studied criminal justice, uh, minor in Spanish, um, sociology when I was at uh, UTA. For undergrad, but you know, graduated from there. But you know, at post college, for me, the only thing I wanted to do was continue to pursue uh, my career with track and continue to see what I could do, how far I could go, and what I could achieve with that. And um, indirectly, that continued to lead me further and further down the continuum of the human body and health and wellness and diet and sleep and nutrition and training and different training modalities. And so, um, it's been a pr pretty cool journey and still going and still learning. And I'm sure people, after seeing you being so dedicated to your health and your wellness, I'm sure they looked at you and started saying, like, John, what can I do? Mm -hmm. Like, what are you doing? How can I look like you? How can I perform like you? Is that what kind of started you into this journey of personal training and opening this gym and things like that? It is a pretty wild story. So I, I've always run track and I actually didn't even know about personal training be fully honest. I didn't even know what it was. I never saw it. It was never exposed to it either. And so I initially post-college, and even when I was in college, my old summer track coach, I would go back and help them over the summer, and he would just have me work with the hurdlers. So that started me off with coaching. So kind of small introduction, lower scale. And from there, it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. And then by the time I was out of college and I was going in Olympic development training camp and I would come back from that, then I would work with more kids and bigger bigger groups. And then eventually uh, I would coach the sprints and hurdles fully for our club team. And I did that for about four years. 
So that was like my first training job and training experience. And uh, we had incredible success then. But um, it was when I went to North Carolina and I was in Olympic development training camp there that one of my um, teammates, because track, you basically, it's unfunded sport for most. You have to train 25 hours a week. So it's like, what job can you work that's going right. to facilitate you to do that? Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's, it's very tough. So you had to essentially just find different supportive gigs or, or jobs. But one of the, our teammates who was in the training club with us there, he was a skeleton athlete, so Winter Olympics. And that's where, you know, Josh head down in a luge. <laughs> yeah. Like, so, but, and that's it. That sport, again, it's, it's even less funded than track and field. And their expenses are even higher because they have to have so much equipment. And, um, but anyway, he was a personal trainer. And he would do that part time, and he was able to cover all his fees for uh, training. He was covered, able to cover all his fees for uh, skeleton, all the needs that, that they had to have bobsleds, everything. And um, so that, was, and I just picked his brain over the course of that training year. And then I was like, at, and at that point, I've been training already with youth athletes for such so long for four or five years now. So I was pretty comfortable working with people. So I was like, I'll, I just I need to do to give myself a shot. So yeah. that's actually first exposure with personal training. I was actually apprehensive for personal training. Really? When working with athletes was like easy for me. When it, And I'm glad I did it that way because when you work with athletes, you have to scrutinize every single detail right. down to the dot. Yeah. But with uh, general population or personal <laughs> training, that's not the case because we're not dealing with 0.01 of a second or 0.10 of a second. Yeah. And so you get right. more margin of error. I think that's why I like working out with you because you were so attentive to details. Like if our technique, John's always correcting us, you know, if he thinks we can lift bigger weight, he puts it on us. Like there's, he's, he's paying attention to every person. It's like having a personal trainer, even if you're in a group. And that's why I really like being with you and working out with you. Joy is your ultimate wedding planning resource. You can plan your wedding with less effort. Joy is your one-stop shop for wedding planning and more. For couples planning their weddings, Joy lets you share your wedding details, collect RSVPs, track responses, and communicate with guests all in one place for free. You can easily import and export your spreadsheets, ask custom RSVP questions and meal preferences, assign and limit plus ones, and so much more. Whatever theme you choose, all parts of your wedding can match your website. And your emails, save the dates, invites, all of it can be cohesive. Choose from hundreds of designs from the Joy Studio to match your unique vision and style and create your wedding registry and link your existing ones in one convenient place. Head over to withjoy.com to create a wedding website today. That's right. You can go to withjoy.com to create a wedding website today. I'm going to kick off. We have a series of questions. That we really do. We have so many questions. A lot. A lot of people ask questions. I had some just generic questions that I think I'd love to bring up just to educate people. And I think... One of the best things you do is educate because um, everybody starts off somewhere and it's just about, okay, well, where's that spark of, you know, people get inundated with so much information, what supplements to use, what techniques to go on. And 
obviously every body type's different. So in your opinion, one of the first questions we got is, I'm just starting to work out. You know, she's in her mid twenties. She, I've, I've never really been educated in the gym. What's the best plan of attack to get started? Mm-hmm. What would you suggest? Number one, find what you enjoy doing, and find what you can do consistently, mm-hmm. and that will produce results initially for sure. Especially if she is coming from a place of uh, very little physical activity, and that's what we encourage most people to do. Is just number one, you need to enjoy the atmosphere you're going to. You need to enjoy the activity that you're doing, right? Because then there's no friction, there's no resistance to you doing that thing. Yes, that makes so much sense because I don't like to run. I like to lift weights and, you know, I enjoy our workout because we focus on weights, but it's not that I don't run because we do, (laughs) we do our little sprints and all that and we get our heart rate up, but it's also, I'm focused on things that I'm interested in and that I really like to do and finish and accomplish. And I know some of my girlfriends are big runners, so that's how they feel like they have worked out for the day because they run. I think that's really, really good advice to do something you enjoy. What about um, when people, when you talk about find something you're passionate about, when when you're working out, what's the best way to actually gauge how well you're working out? Is it by performance? Is it the way you look? Um, what factors do you personally think are best to start goal setting when you initially start working out? Or is it both? Do you look at... Yeah. At both your in you know health and, mm-hmm. and the way you feel, and do you look at the way you actually look? Is it both, or is it should you focus one or the other? So we have a slogan, and it's actually like one of the first things on our website, and it's we say simply aesthetics are a byproduct of function. And so to answer that question is actually it it, it is both, and because as you improve your ability to move, as you improve your ability to uh, tolerate more load, go further distances on runs, to exercise more, to do more volume or repetitions against resistance training. As you improve all these parameters, guess what's also going to improve? Right. The composition, the tone of the body. And so your aesthetics, how you look, how you feel, how you perform, how you're able to go through a session is going to improve as you improve on these controllable qualities mm-hmm. when some things we don't have control of. Right. So a lot when you start on doing things and your body's changing and you feel the aches and the pains of <laughs> what you're going through, it's a deterrent for a lot of beginners, that feeling of being sore. And I hear a lot of time that people stop or quit before they even begin because they don't want to be tired or they don't want to feel the soreness. So what would you say to those people that need a little bit of encouragement to get through the soreness and the tiredness? The, the interesting thing about um, energy and, you know, being tired or having energy to do a thing is the body is going to only give you what you need when you need it. So, a lot of times we're tired, but the reality is if we get up, we take one step forward, one step forward, we got a little bit more energy. Or if we go to the gym and we're tired when we got there, within five minutes, boom, the body has woken up right. and it's ready to go. So number one, keep going, stay consistent. But again, if they like that thing, they're going to be more prone to do it. But then number two, for soreness, just know that that generally will come anytime you go through new ranges of motion, different uh, exercise modalities, different training frequencies, anytime you change some of these variables, you're going to get sore because you're stretching muscles in ranges that they may have not been in and you're causing micro trauma to the muscles. That's actually how we adapt and change. But it lessens every single time. 
Right. And so if you're crazy sore the first time, second time, it'll be 75%. Third time, maybe 50%. Fourth time, maybe 25%. Then it's marginally sore. Right. So just keep going. I've even noticed when we're on our second or third rep, Mm -hmm. when we're working out with you, that it's not as bad as the first rep. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's just there's something about it's it's like that first one that even the second one can kind of kill me. But the third and the fourth, I'm like, okay, I got like I thought this was heavy, but it's fun. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I have an interesting question. This is what is your best or if you don't have to say the client's name, but what's your best client success story with someone, whether it was you got them to train for Olympics or maybe someone dropped 150 pounds. What is your favorite story from a client you've worked with? Uh, man, it's a couple. We had, it's been, I have to think. I've never been asked that question. Oh, I like uh, it. We're throwing you curveball. You've, you've trained so many people too. Like, mm-hmm. um, you've trained our friend Haley Anderson. Um, you've trained her Jojo. brother. You've trained Jojo. You've trained Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders. I mean, you've <laughs> like done it all. So it's kind of, it kind of can seem like, well, there's too many to pick from. It's It's a lot. I think. We'll probably some of it may come up once we get into some other questions. I think that what I'm passionate about and is really coaching. I love to coach. I love working with other people. Um, I've been able to travel the world and work with some of the best coaches on earth, and um, and be able to pass that knowledge down or pass that knowledge to the next generation was always a blessing. And when I initially started coaching, working with uh, youth athletes, I had a group of kids that I worked with from eighth grade all the way to senior year. And um, by the time that they got to senior year, they were they made all American status. Wow! And so they finished wow. top eight in the United States of America in the four by one and uh, four by four. And so that was definitely rewarding to see them grow. Yeah. And to go from basically, you know, just doing a sport for fun into some of the best athletes in the United States. So right. That was really cool to see the journey of that. That's and, very you cool. Know, see them grow as I grew and learn more. I saw a picture, I think you posted it on Vibe's Instagram of you helping a kid and his technique in running. And you did a before and you did an after of just him running and how he was, you know, positioned mm-hmm. when he ran. And it was just incredible the the growth he showed mm-hmm. in the little time span that you had with him. It was really, really cool to see that. And I think sometimes when we get better and we get fitter and, you know, we get toner, we forget how far we've come oh, for sure. and we get used to the body that we have. And we're like, we need to reflect like this took a yes. long time to get here and some work. A lot of work. And that's a we always tell people to because nobody if you have a growth mindset, you're always want something more. And this yeah. applies to all things, business, growth, life, relationships, everything. It's, you know, with the body especially, like people could lose 10% body fat in a year, but they still want something more. For sure. They still want more. For sure. When it, for a moment, there has to be that gratitude to stop, appreciate what you did to get here, what it took to get here, how you were able to stay consistent, and know that in time with patience, whatever you do want will come as well. Right. Speaking of that, Let's go into the subject of toning because we had a lot of Instagram questions about how to get tone. And one of the first ones I got was, what is the most efficient workout and best use of your time for toning? Is it long runs? Is it something else? Is it weightlifting? Is there certain something that you can focus on if you're wanting to get tone and like use the best of your time doing it? 
without a doubt, resistance training. And in to be specific, it is actually doing what's called time under tension or applying applying standardization with how fast you're moving the weight and the ranges that you move that weight in. So what causes, everybody's heard of afterburn, right? Mm-hmm. Exercise, mm-hmm. post-oxygen consumption, the EPOC. Well, research has shown that when the there's a lot of eccentric damage. So basically, like when we squat and we count four, three, two, yes. one, that's actually working on the eccentric muscular contraction. That's when the muscle tissue stretches. You get a lot of what's called micro trauma, micro, little small micro tears. Well, the body has to go back and repair and rebuild those. That actually drives up your metabolism. And in some research, it can go up to 24, 36% higher than your baseline on a non-workout day. So say you work out Monday, you do a heavy citric training day, your metabolism is elevated the next day, even if you don't come in the gym. And right. To give you an example, I had a client. He wears a lot of the monitoring and technology devices, actually an aura ring, and it just gives you a basic baseline of the calories you burn in a day. Mm-hmm. So Monday, office day, he burned 2,400 calories. Wow. Okay. This, that's, his, that's his BMR. Okay. Yeah. That's just his normal day, just walking up from 5 a.m. to, you know, 8 o'clock. Yeah. Well, Tuesday was a training day. Well, heavy leg day, eccentric training, resistance training, 4,500 calories that day. Wow. So he doubled. He doubled on this uh, exercise day. But this was the thing. Wednesday was back in the office, no training, 3,550 calories. Wow, that's so interesting. On a non-workout day. You know, you hear all these workout myths Mm -hmm. that if you work out and you lift weights and you do certain things, you burn more calories Mm -hmm. just even afterwards. Right, afterwards. And that's so cool to know that that's actually not a myth. That's Mm -hmm. really what's going on in your body. And what you're basically saying for a layman's term here is you're saying when you're lifting weights, and let's just say you're doing bench press, Mm -hmm. When that weight's coming down, you're basically saying you want that downward motion to be as slow slow as possible, but you want the same speed going up or you want to be explosive coming up? You want to be explosive coming up. Okay. Generally, it, it is harder to move any weight faster, and it actually recruits different muscle fibers when you move, have to move the weight fast. Mm. And so with toning, it's highly dependent on what basically what's called your fast twitch muscle fibers. That's what gives our body shape, tone, curve. And those are stimulated primarily when they get when they have to be used only with high velocities, or so say a sprint versus jog. Well, look at a, you know marathoner versus a sprinter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, different mm-hmm. body types, right? That's true. Different yes. muscular contractions. Yeah. Yep. So that's kind of the premise of that. So yes, you want to move that weight up fast. Okay, got it. If you look around you right now, you will never hardly ever see someone that's not wearing wireless earbuds. But before you go dropping hundreds of dollars on a pair, you need to check out wireless earbuds from Raycon. They start out about half the price of other premium wireless earbuds on the market, and they sound just as amazing as other top audio brands that you know. And Raycon's latest model, E25, is their best one yet with six hours of playtime, seamless Bluetooth pairing, more bass, and a more compact design that gives you a nice noise-isolating fit. Raycon's wireless earbuds are so comfortable, perfect for on-the-go listening and for taking phone calls. Adam and I just got back from a vacation, and we were obsessed with our earbuds. We didn't even touch the ones that we usually use. And unlike most of your wireless options, Raycon earbuds are both stylish and discreet, 
And you heard me talk about before how the company was co-founded by Ray J and celebrities like Snoop Dogg and Cardi B. They are obsessed with Raycons. You can pick up a pair and see what the hype is all about. Now the time to get the latest and greatest from Raycon, and you can get it for 15% off of your order at buyraycon.com slash date. That's buyraycon.com slash date for 15% off Raycon wireless earbuds. Buyraycon.com slash date. So everyone talks about your counting in my videos, on my Instagram videos and how you count. So kind of explain that a little more in depth. Um, Let's just use an example of like being on the TRX. Okay. Um, Explain your counting and what I'm doing and why you're counting and why you're counting the way you're counting. Okay. So the counting is basically giving the client or the person a tempo or a time to execute each contraction. So what a lot of people don't understand is there's three different muscular contractions. You have what's called concentric. So on a TRX, the concentric contraction is when the muscle tissue is shortening and she pulls herself up. That's where we want to go fast. That's where we want to go explosive. And that's that's when we're doing the one. Yes, that's one. Up, boom. Or I just say push or up or I yell a cue like that. At the top is isometric. That's a momentary pause, okay? That's when the muscle tissue is not either lengthening or shortening. It's actually in a contract state. Mm. Then there's the eccentric contraction. That's what really overdrives, uh, uh, really drives up your metabolism post-training if it's overloaded. Okay. So that's generally what most people are going to hear when they hear four, three, two, one. Yeah. On a TRX, for example, this would be when she would lower her body slowly back to the start. Right. So when he's counting the like... Four, three, two, one. That's when we're slowly like bringing the weight down or bringing yourself up on a TRX and then, or down on a TRX and then you explode up. So you're just getting that time. What what do you say, Tom? Time under tension. Yes, time under tension. And we do that a lot. And I've just seen my body already change gradually by working out this way. For sure. And it's only been probably about a month. And we still, we're getting wedding bod ready, so. And I'll try well. to put, um, <laughs> the week that this airs, I'll try to put on Instagram, we'll try to explain mm-hmm. it better in a video, because it's very hard to explain it on here, but we'll go more in depth yeah. on Instagram. So, I appreciate the workout. I appreciate, I 90% of the reason why I work out is so I can eat whatever I want, right? Yeah. Um, I'm a foodie. I love eating. I love gluten. Raven loves carbs. <laughs> you name it, you know, we'll eat it. Um what would you say is the best trade-off with people eating X amount of meals per day? And what I mean by that is as I've, as I've gotten older, um, I'd say after I got over 27, my metabolism, I have felt started to kind of slow on me and my appetite for breakfast has kind of diminished. What's your suggestion on how many meals per day? And then like kind of wrap up for me, because again, everyone's different with height, weight, and so on and so forth. What would you say to be a generic um, uh, average, you know, if I'm trying to cut weight really quickly, what would you, uh, what, what type of diet would I follow for that? There's, we, that's actually, we keep it very simple. We do what's called a uh, metabolic analytics. Um, this was a body fat analysis method that was, uh, taught by one of my mentors. His name is Charles Poliquin. He actually invented this in 
the early 2000s. It was based off genetic testing, um, DEXA scan, which is essentially the gold standard, where it went to the MRI image of your body. And then they mapped 14 different sites on our body to micronutrients and hormonal deficiencies. Um, and so with this, with this approach and with this uh, tool set that we have, this is how we can kind of give people better guidance for how they're tolerating whatever diet they're currently on. Ah. There's two sites on our bodies that correlate to how well we're able to handle starches, carbohydrates, and our blood sugar management. Number one is a subscap. That's the area located right by your scapula or your back. Mm. Upper In between back. your shoulder blades? Uh, yeah, basically right to the right of if your spine. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah kind of right to your right. Kind yeah. of your wing. Yeah, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. That's the subscap. Now, that's your genetic tolerance site for carbohydrates. In oh. They actually did a lot of cool studies. It was done with Dr. Mark Houston at Vanderbilt University, and they marked that one skin fold site using calipers, measuring that site. They marked that site to dyslipidemia, when, um, hypertension, blood, blood pressure issues, as well as uh, HB1, what's called HB1AC, which is basically dysregulated blood glucose. Okay. So, meaning if the higher that number was, the more prone those people were to have those metabolic disorders. Okay meaning they weren't tolerating glucose, sugars, or starch as well. So anytime we have a carbohydrate source, it's going to be broken down into glucose, and then we have to shuttle and store that glucose, either in muscle tissue, liver, or uh, fat, or it would be broken down for gluconeogenesis. So what we have people do, we do the metabolic analytics. We measure these sites on the body, the upper back. The second site is a hip Right above your hip bone, right? The muffin area is what yeah. people muffin call it. Muffin top, yeah. Muffin top. John has done this whole thing with me before. <laughs> yeah, we found yeah. out a lot that I like bread. <laughs> now, that site's pretty interesting. That's called a volitional site, meaning that site is transient. It goes up or down based on meal frequency, meal timing. Hmm. Um, it also correlates with basically your, your ability to handle carbohydrates as well. So, if... And for men and women, the norms on those two sites should be less than 10 millimeters, which is quite low. And how many millimeter, How many inches is a millimeter? Um, it may be three-fourths of an inch. Oh, really? Okay. It's, it's low. That's only low. about yay much, yes. this pinch. That's, my, oh, that's, the, that's it. And most people are five times that. Oh, wow. For Independent of their size, yeah. height, or weight. Yeah. And so once we can you know, measure these sites, get something quantifiable – educate people to ask to why these regions are higher. Generally, what I have them do is just a whole foods-based diet and recommend them to look up something like Whole food, Whole 30, mm. which yeah. still allows you to have potatoes. It still allows right. you to have sweet potatoes. So you get your carbohydrate sources, right. but it essentially pulls out a lot of the faster carbs. Got it. So my approach is generally, you know, you need three to four meals, depending on how long you're up, comprised of whole foods, Ideally, they do something like an elimination diet, like a Whole30 for the first month, just to identify how they are responding to the foods they're eating. Got it. Because some people have issues, like you, you talked about earlier about gluten. Some people have gluten sensitivities. They have gluten right, allergies. Right, right, And they may not know because they've always had it. Mm-hmm. So they don't, they don't have a baseline to measure anything against. So a simple elimination diet for 30 days with reintroduction, adding some of those things back, and it's like, whoa, I don't feel good when I have this. Interesting. It, it gives them a toolbox that they can now deploy against the rest of their life for their health. Yeah. 
Um, what do you think about fasted cardio or starting or like working out on an empty stomach before your day gets started? Yeah. One of my questions was I work out on an empty stomach, but I still get queasy during my workout. How do you prevent that? Generally, it's very individualized what somebody's, how somebody can digest the food group or food item pre-training. Um, I would say that's very exper- experimental. Mm-hmm. You don't want anything heavy. I would suggest they try something with a little bit of fiber in it. I mean, they could try some fruit, low glycemic fruit in the morning. Uh, What's some examples of low glycemic that fruit? That would be like berries, think thin skin okay. berries, raspberries, blueberries, blueberries. things, okay, like, yeah. things like that. Um, they could they could even comprise a shake, you know. And see how that does. Just and something then, lighter. Yeah. yeah. Um, what are the best foods to eat before long runs? I know you work with so many runners. The long runs, it depends on how long the run is going to be. What's interesting is a lot of the research is showing that two, both glucose-based pre-workout meals work, but also uh, fat-based meals work as well because mm-hmm. the fats, some people are more efficient at burning fat as an energy source. And so, again, they that person may have already kind of figured out I do well on X, Y, and Z, and A, B, and C I don't tolerate well right? because their performance declined in their run. So again, with pre-workout, I would suggest keeping a log and using that log of what you had pre-workout against your times in the runs or the distances you covered and your perceived effort, and then creating your own individualized blueprint. Piggybacking off of just food and um, toning and weight and all of that, um, I had a lot of women ask about their midsection fat and their belly fat. What are some great ways to get rid of that, whether it be diet or whether it be a workout? What are what could they do to help them start? Yeah, target that area. Absolutely. So with the metabolic analytics, that again allows us to target regionally where we're storing some of the the fat on the body. And what people see is, hey, I gain only weight on my waist. My arms and legs stay thin. Mm. Or my arms and legs. Yeah, someone else said that too. They said, how do I get lean muscles and look fit and thin? And then someone else said, my legs get toned, but my arms are gross. Help me. That's what she literally said. Absolutely. And so I'll just run through those different body part sites and what they're correlated to and then how you can individualize lifestyle and nutrition and training to intervene and lower those sites specifically. And that's what we do. The midsection, I'll go back to that start is the belly button, which is basically your belly button, your umbilicals right next to that. That's correlated to cortisol and long-term exposure to cortisol. So stress management. So initially with that is sleep. If you get good sleep, you're going to start to rebalance the cortisol, circadian rhythm, sleep-wake cycles of the body. But if the, the umbilical is high, generally that person has some exposure to high levels of stress and it's not being managed properly. Yeah. Um, number two, I think, again, the, the waist will comprise the superiliac, which is a hip, okay? Now, if that hip is high, if it's over 10, that's going to cause you to gain weight everywhere on the body because basically... Uh, glucose, insulin are being mismanaged in some capacity. Number three is what's called Australian site. That's actually located on the lower back. So the basically the, the right to the, if you just went straight back from the belly button and onto the back, that's where that site is. Mm. 
again, kind of the muffin top area. Yeah. That's actually, again, it shows you how you, well you can manage carbohydrates. And, but it also shows you inflammation in the body and what's called challenge insulin. So if that site's high, the red flag for me is generally why it is. Yeah, yeah. Ah. We've talked about, John and I have talked about that a lot of wine and how just alcohol in general can like really mess up your body sure, and sure. mess up a workout. But um, what else? Um, oh, I have a question for someone that's older than 50. Mm-hmm. And they ask, can you build muscles or endurance if you're older than 50? And what do you suggest for someone late in life trying to get started? So I have one client, probably maybe seven, pretty much seven years now. She's over 50, and she's the leanest in the gym pound for pound. Now has a record. Even more so than Mary? What? (laughs) She beat Mary out? 15 chin-ups. Wow. (laughs) And 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 that's progressed from when she started till now. And, and so what's really cool to see is that independent of age, if the body has the right information from diet, if it's getting sleep, if it's getting good nutrients, there there's not a lot of roadblocks. I yeah. mean, in the, whereas before, I think we have these caps that have been put in place. But, I mean, there's you'll see people in the 50s working out with people in the 20s and the people in the 50s are fitter. Yeah. So do you think there's a point that you're too old or that you've kind of wasted time and you can't get that time back and you're never going to like get to a place of maybe where your person is at because they've waited until they were 60 or do you think it's like does not matter? No, it doesn't matter. What's really cool is they actually just showed a study and they took people who were in their 60s and they had not exercised for decades, but all of these people were actually active athletes in their teens and what they measured was what's called muscle memory. The body has what's called muscle memory. If you trained at some point in your life, doesn't matter if you were in high school or a little bit in college, the body will recognize and know how to get back to that point. And so what they showed after, I think it was 12 or 16 weeks in the study, was that the people in the 60s were actually able to recover quite a bit of their fitness levels. That is so bizarre to yes, me. that's crazy. So that is, should be motivation for everybody to just get started. Get started wherever Do you are something. with whatever you have. That is really, really cool to me because one of my fears in life, and you know, you met my dad, one of his fears in life, and he's definitely getting older, is that he's going to become weaker or that he's going to lose his edge. And he's kind of like trying to figure out, you know, he's not moving the way he used to, or maybe is supposed to be moving some way he never has before and his mobility is different. And him trying to gauge that is is kind of scary to him. And it's kind of scary to me too, thinking about getting older and not getting fitter. But I mean, you saying that study alone shows like you yes. can get it back. You can, you, can, get it back. you can get it back. And these people, they didn't do anything for decades. So if you've been at least active, you're already ahead of that curve. But the second thing for that is, should you start later in life? Is is what the answer is yes, without a doubt. And so what they've also shown via research is that the main correlators to longevity in life expectancy are linked to what's called sarcopenia and dynopenia. Now, sarcopenia is actually the loss of muscle tissue. Generally, after about the age of 20, we start to see a decline in skeletal muscle on the body. Mm-hmm. Now, this is why you have to have some type of resistance training. We lose about 1% per year. It's possible, okay? 
Now, dinopenia is what's called loss of strength, all right? That's, so you think elderly person, loss of strength for them is actually when they, the, the ability to fall and even stand up, right? Because you can't move the mass mm. of the body back up. But they've also linked muscle power as an indicator of longevity. And muscle power would be pushing the sled, yeah. pulling the sled, yeah. Yeah. doing some of the things that we do in the gym. And so those three things are easily trainable at low impact levels. Right. With high intensity, meaning we, I could have you walk with a sled, and that's a power exercise, right? Right. And it's not, right. it's not impactful on the joints. It's not uh, anything crazy. It's not high intensity, and but it's still going to give you those benefits that you need for longevity. I love that, John. What would you say um, if? I mean, I don't. It's it's again different for everyone. But if you were to say the split as a percentage, what would you say? would be diet versus exercise. Because we always hear the 80-20. Yeah, 60-40 or whatever it is. What do you think? And just this is in your opinion. Again, everybody's different. If someone were to say, hey, John, look, um, I'm looking to get started. I I just I want to get the diet kind of first going, and then I want to get the working out. What would you say would be that split? I'll give you two good examples. First one, I'll just use myself, for example. When I first did the metabolic analytics test, like I've I've trained since 2012. I've I trained about twenty, about twenty four hours a week for myself training, physically training for track and field, mm-hmm. weightlifting. Okay, so that's very high in a high intensity. When I did this uh, body fat analysis test, I uh, I was nine or ten percent on that test, and I needed to be six to give you a reference. Diet is 100% because the only yeah. way you can change at that level is I had to change my food because right, the foods right, right. I were eating weren't in alignment with my body and for it to be optimal. Right. And so diet is always number one because that's the fuel and that's actually the avenue or conduit to get you to where you want to be. And I learned a tremendous amount personally and it, I improved my performance substantially and aesthetics to a level that I didn't know was achievable simply by making dietary tweaks. But the cool thing for me is my training has essentially been the same for the last eight years, over 24, 20 hours a week of exercise. So you can't exercise anymore at a higher level. So it was diet. And so what I tell people, though, is this. Like, look, if you're going to be, you're going to live to be 100 years old, okay? Mm -hmm. If it takes you three years to find out the perfect meal plan for you, the perfect whole foods diet for you, how much time was spent? And you're in the grand scheme of life, if it don't, if it takes you three years, it's not even a blip. Three percent, yeah, right, of a hundred years old. Yeah, you, I mean, you, that'd be a speck of dust on a TV, right? Yeah. yeah. And so, a lot of people think that they have to change everything at once. Mm. I got to do it all at once. I got to go cold turkey. Yeah, <laughs> and I like, think that discourages yeah, it, people too mm-hmm. because they're like, I don't want. I just have so many changes to make that I don't even want to change one thing because I'm not ready to change everything. Yes, and that, that's why I was like, look, if you can change breakfast, change breakfast. Right, thirty three percent change. You know, a misconception that I've seen, and maybe you can help me out on this, but do you think that some, is it easier to build muscle on someone who has a high body fat percentage? Mm-hmm. Versus someone who's really, really thin, or is the person who's really, really thin? Can they still get the muscle mass, but they're just going to have to change diet in order to get there? The person that's thin is easy to gain muscle mass in the right plan. Really, it's actually really easy. Um, the issue with a person that has a higher body fat is there's the information or to or the building blocks to lay down the proteins for the skeletal mass to grow. 
there it's basically it's not as efficient as a person who's very just thin. Okay. Right. So there's you have to get through that initial barrier of allowing the muscle tissue to be receptive to the nutrients it needs so it can change initially for them to be able to gain the lean mass. I am really enjoying testing out what new fragrance I want for spring, and that can be really expensive too. So without breaking the bank, I have tried so many scents from Scentbird, and honestly, every scent I've tried, I've loved. We actually had some delivered to the house uh, for Adam too, and he has been smelling really, really great as well. Scentbird is a luxury fragrance subscription service for perfumes and colognes, for it, so you can get one for you and one for him. You can choose the fragrance you want to try, and they'll send you a 30-day supply, so don't break the bank by just trying anything out there. Plus, they have products from other categories like skincare, wellness, makeup. They carry brands such as Glam Glow, Glow Recipe, Tar, and so much more. And with an exclusive offer just for you listeners, you can get 30% off your first month today. That's only $10 for your first fragrance. So go to scentbird.com slash day and use promo code date for 30% off your first fragrance. Again, that's scent. S-C-E-N-T bird.com slash date to sign up and use my promo code date to try the first perfume or cologne for just $10. Sign on and smell amazing. Is it true though that it's easier to convert fat in the muscle than it is to get muscle, more muscle mass? Does that make sense? So generally you'll have like muscle, then you'll have fat, two separate entities. Oh, okay. okay. But what that what happens at with dino or sarcopenia is actually they'll show muscle tissue uh-huh. that looks like steak or you know, yeah. cream, 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 you know, I've no marbling. That. Well, uh no muscle marbling. tissue with a lot of marbling would be that fat interstitched into the muscle. And uh-huh. when that happens, you actually cannot recover from that. Uh, that's not so that's why you want to do strength training as much as possible so Raven have you ever heard of that term skinny fat yes yeah, John I mean, you've heard of that I, yes. yeah is I used that to be kind of what you're fat. referring to <laughs> yes in the, for sure that's interesting yeah. indirectly it's like being skinny unhealthy Un- yes it's yeah. just not there's no and, tone and what, or muscle what's, to what's you what's your best advice to somebody that is skinny quote fat. unquote yeah. skinny, fat, skinny fat they have to do resistance training so muscle mm-hmm. your skeletal muscle is the largest parking site for glucose and insulin mm-hmm. so if somebody's generally skinny fat it's actually going to be metabolic disorder and so the the reality is in america there's they did, i think it's cdc did this in 2017 it showed that 54% of americans were pre-diabetic or diabetic already meaning they are not tolerating glucose well and there's insulin that's dysregulated. Insulin is a basically the storage hormone. Okay. Okay. And so if they're skinny, skinny fat is basically somebody who has a low body weight with a metabolic disorder. Now, the easiest way you can circumvent that is to be a resistance training because the strength training actually will allow them to put glucose into the muscle tissue. Got it. Versus being stored as fat. Ain't that the thing? What? 
Someone asked, what is your recommended diet for weight loss and how much cardio versus weights would you say a workout would need if you're targeting weight loss? We do both. We do essentially, like I tell most people, we have about a 10 minute warm up, four four minutes active warm up on whatever, you know, sprint, sled that we're going to do. It's like four minutes of HIIT training. So we basically do 20 minutes cardio, 40 minutes weights at Vibe. That's the basic outline and structure of our training session. Um, that's what I recommend. That's what I found over the last 13 years have been the most effective way to change the composition for weight loss. What about food-wise? If food, you're targeting weight loss, what Whole30 30 diet is what I recommend personally. Um, there's, and the reason why is there's so many. And tell us about Whole30. Where do you find it? What, Whole30, what's your, yeah. I think Whole30 dot com and then they have the whole 30 challenge app, app. oh there's an app too oh okay yeah. someone asked there they said and what's they a good app for uh uh food someone asked that too so i don't so define it is it supposed to be like for a month is that what the it's 30s basically were? It's, a, it's a 30 day elimination diet ah, okay. okay yes got it that's what's whole like w-h-o-l-e whole 30 yeah. you have to basically it's whole foods they give you a list of proteins. They give you lists of healthy fats. They give you lists of healthy vegetables. They give you the mm. healthy starches that you can have. Yeah. And they give you, and what they actually do is then after the 30 days, it's just a reintroduction phase week by week. So it's a really cool plan for somebody to identify without having to go to a specialist or, or an expert that they can do within their own power right now today. And that's going to make the biggest difference on them and how they're responding to their environment and food. Is to do something like that. And then I like it because there's so much resources. Like there's so many cookbooks of how to make healthy foods taste good. Mm-hmm. There's so many yeah. restaurants that are compliant. You can go to a restaurant and on their menu, they'll say Whole30 approved. So there's a lot of cool ways that you can actually stay compliant with it. Speaking of good food, someone said decent snacks that taste good recommendations. <laughs> uh, bulletproof collagen bars. <laughs> <laughs> Macadamia nuts. Okay. okay, perfect. <laughs> Seems like those taste pretty good. And then someone yeah. else asked, how often should one drink alcohol? And I already, I wasn't going to ask this because I already know know how you feel about this. Because John, John has never drank in a day, a day in his life. So <laughs> he's not too keen on alcohol. But, you know, it happens. You drink socially. I know Adam and I do, but we try not to like. You really don't Go drink during it. the week, yeah. We don't drink during the week, yeah. yeah. No. Or if you're producing a show late in the evening, you feel like crack one open. <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes we do do that. Is that we a Miller Lite, Kev? Yeah. <laughs> and help oh, yourself, yeah. man. Yeah. <laughs> would you say, I mean, within modesty, what would you say would be, I mean, uh, just a, a good guideline or? The first thing I say is what's the goal? Ah. And then I tell them out the Right from the start, you're going to have to deploy time and patience against that goal because that's an interference to that. And the reality is with this, what's called epigenetics, like how on a genetic level and a bio-individual level, how you respond to things. Like yeah, if I drink a drink, I've, I've done all my genetic testing. Um, one drink for me would equal 10 because I'm a sl- my liver, uh. just I have different snips with, and the liver function is a little bit slower. I'm more prone for different type of estrogen metabolism to, to be slower. I Alcohol is a, actually a toxin. It has to be detoxified and broken down in the body. And one of the main antioxidants that does that is called glutathione. Well, I have another snip in that. That's very slow for me too. So for me, 
one drink is not one and one drink maybe is equivalent to 10 on my body and how hard it's going to hit me. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people, they don't have that information though, so they can't make those actionable choices. Um, when we do the metabolic analytics, essentially the lower body, the quadriceps, the hamstrings. So if you have weight gain on your legs, those sites correlate directly to essentially detoxification or endogenous, how much estrogen you make or how much you're able to clear from the body. And so with this information, you're able to say, Hey, if you want these site, if you want leaner legs and you're drinking, you know, 20 drinks a week. Yeah, John and I have talked about that too because sometimes you'll see someone that it works out all the time that also um, eats pretty decent and they aren't getting the results in the gym and it's all because they're big wine drinkers mm-hmm. or um, they just, you know, not abuse alcohol. I don't want to say that, but they just drink to where their body doesn't um, take care of itself when you're drinking no, so much. For sure. Then there's no nutrients going back in to even facilitate yeah, or help that process. Because there's, right. other than sugar, there's no nutrients to alcohol. No, there's no nutrients. And then if their diet is missing gaps, that's just adding a barrage to the body. And so it um it's, it's multifactorial for sure. But this is what I do. Because again, we're talking longevity and finding mm-hmm. something. What can I do for the rest of my life that I can stick to? If somebody walked in and had a consultation with me and they said they had 20 drinks in a week, which is doable. Yeah. You could do two during the week and then have three or four on the weekend. That's 20. Right. And so it's not that hard to do. I say, okay, can you go to 10 in a week? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And if then you, you can taper off from 40 there. 40 drinks a yeah. month. Are you kidding me? They're going right. to change. 40 drinks. Damn. You add it up. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> you cut 10 drinks a week, it's 40 drinks a month. And they're they're going to change. But they also with, start to feel better. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think, especially with me, you forget what you're really mm-hmm. doing to your body when you're just like, oh, I'm d- I just had a drink at lunch and I had a drink at dinner. Mm-hmm. And if you do that every single day and you're like not getting the results in the gym, it, it's like you're not even realizing that you, if you just cut back, right. you would be cutting back so much yes. just by cutting back a little bit. A little bit. Um, okay. We're to our last little topic. And this is kind of combined because there was a lot of different questions about techniques, workouts, and weightlifting in general. So the first question we had, what are the best times to exercise? Because we've heard that if you're an early bird, it's better and, but some people are slow and groggy in the mornings, and then others are night owls, and they perform better at night. But is there a rule of thumb of, like, what time of day you should be working out? I'd say it's the one that's going to allow you to get the most sleep, the one that's going to allow you to get the most sleep. So if you have that flexibility in the morning to where you can still get, you know, seven and a half, eight hours of sleep, mm-hmm. and you can go to sleep a little bit later, and you have that luxury in the morning, Nighttime may be for you if that's the time if to have a, to allow you to have a good morning routine to get in the flow. And some people come in, and uh, I have two sessions that I do at night, but most people are morning workout people. John, I have a few questions about workouts targeting a certain area. So the first one is kind of funny, and I, I wonder what you have to say about this, because this girl said, what's the best booty workouts? Trying to find some that don't make your thighs big as well. <laughs> it's like an oxymoron but i feel like you gotta have big thighs to carry a big booty no it's still for most again it goes back to the composition of the legs so say if i measure the leg and it's 32 on your thigh 
the front of the leg, I measure is 32 millimeters. That for a female should be under 20. So this is it's pretty high. But if I measure the hamstring, right, and the hamstring is 48, which is very common, the hamstring should be sub 20 for women. Mm-hmm. If not doing any glute workout alone, by lowering those two skin fold sites, the circumference of her leg goes down, the glute goes up by default. Gotcha. So you have glutes without even having to do some special program. But the best way to target it with resistance training, the more you stretch a muscle, the more it will grow. So full range of motion training will produce the best results, like deep squat, deep lunge, split squat. Um, all the posterior chain exercises, 45-degree back extensions, um, reverse hypers. Okay, cool. Because I just figured you'd have to have big thighs for a big No, because you can – that's the art. Yeah, <laughs> That's yeah. the art of training. It's, yeah. Now, what about um, women – what would you say is the best advice? Because I know a, lo- a lot of women think that if they're trying to get pregnant, they don't need to work out. What would you say is the rule of thumb for women that either are trying to get pregnant or once they are pregnant, how long can they work out till? And then afterwards, I think a big question that we get and a question that Raven did get through Instagram, which was um, once once you have a baby postpartum, um, what's the best workouts or when should you start working out to get your tummy flat and back to yeah, normal? Yeah, abs and belly for postpartum was a big question. So... How long during the pregnancy or is the longest client I've had? I mean, she worked out on Friday and she had the baby Monday. Wow. <laughs> well, you and then had... she was cleared very quickly. I mean, basically the shortest window after your uh, delivery, she was cleared. The doctor was like, you're good to go. You also have so a, a quicker recovery time woman that trains at I won't say well, we got name for a couple yeah like four privacy but probably four or five okay so what's the best workouts for the belly after you have a baby if they're clear um no issues with dissecting recti where basically there's a split in the upper yeah. abdomen if they're clear and the doctors gave them the green light to train it it doesn't change okay if you want to see the abs you have to globally lower the body fat okay Someone asked, anything to prevent shin splints? I've been, I've just started running and it's a big issue I run into. The number one thing for shin splints is they need to roll the, what's called the soleus and the calves. Okay. Those are, if you do, if you can release those areas, those actually cause a lot of pressure on the front of the leg, which is a interior tibialis or shin. Okay. Number two, they need to roll the bottom of their foot, get a golf ball and gently massage and roll the bottom of their feet when they wake up in the morning and before they go to bed, that also will give a lot of relief on those musculature that comprise the shin. Okay, cool. Good to know. Can I ask you a question real quick, John? Just out of curiosity. um, If you're a runner, does whether you run on pavement versus a treadmill affect uh, shin splints? Yes. uh, More of how you strike the ground, I would say, like depending on if they're a heel striker or if they're laying on the forefoot. Gotcha. But varying the surface is always good anyway. Okay, this is our last question, um, and we'll end this with a motivational get-started mm-hmm. point with asking, 
what are the best weightlifting exercises for beginners? What should, if someone's just walking into a gym and they have no idea what they're doing. What machine do you go to? What machine do you mm-hmm. go to? What weight exercises. do you, what weight do you grab and what, you know, movement do you do? There's what's called the uh, primate. I learned this from one of my mentors, Stefan Kazolt from Kilo String Society in California. There's what's called the primate motions of the body. So we have what's called a squat, just global motions, okay? We have a deadlift. We have an overhead press. We have a chin up or a pull down. We have a bench press. We have incline press. You could do... And from there, each one of those motions have many regressions, easier versions, and also progressions that can make them more difficult. Mm. So independent of where somebody is on their fitness level, you can train them on the same pattern at a either progress way or regress way. So I would, everybody needs to move and move well. And if you can squat, if you can lunge, if you can do a hip hinge or a deadlifting pattern, if you can press a weight, press, bench press, push-ups, if you can press over your head, you have great shoulder mobility, if you can row, if you can pull, if you can pull down, all these are fundamental motions we need for longevity, and they also train the most compound muscles, muscles in the body, which also give us the greatest fat-burning effect. Mm. So how many, if someone is walking into a gym and, and – they decide to do that and, you know, they can't afford a mm-hmm. trainer or whatever it may be. How many reps should they do? Mm-hmm. How, how should they count in their head? What's some tips and tricks you can give to someone that's that's kind of lost? Lost, I would just say on everything you do, just go down in four seconds. That'd still be better okay. than no tempo. So just Lower, make sure slow. you're counting down mm-hmm. four seconds when you're, like, mm-hmm. lowering yourself down on a push-up or something. Yes, and the reason is, so when you lower on a push-up, you are, when your muscles are eccentrically lengthening, they're 30 to 50% stronger. So let's just say I'm 100 pounds for simple mathematics, okay? I'm 100 pounds. Well, when I lower my body to do a push-up, I'm not pushing up 100 pounds. I'm only lowering 50 pounds, okay? Mm-hmm. And so if I don't keep tension on the muscle for the entire time, the results are not going to be the same as if I did. Yeah. And that's why accounting for the tempo or the speed of the lift is going to make a big difference versus just going up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. And how many uh, times should they do that? Should they do like eight reps mm-hmm. or? A good range, I would say, just start off eight to 12. Okay. You know, basically when if they could do 13 or 14, the weight may be a little bit too light. If they can only do six, it may be a little too hard. And find that sweet spot that's going to allow you to get quality, exercise execution at a challenging weight without compromising your form. Perfect. Adam, any other questions from you? This was wonderful. This was so good. I feel like we could talk to talk about this for so long. Yeah. Flew by. (laughs) And John, just plug your Instagram vibes, Instagram. Um, you know what, what you're doing at vibe, whatever you want to plug. The floor is yours. Yeah. Nice. Uh, you can definitely find us if you're in Dallas, Texas. Look us up at Train Vibe on Instagram. We're pretty active on there. We try to post a lot of our stories and a lot of stuff we're talking about 
today you'll see on our story, so you can definitely follow along with that. Um, in IGTVs? IGTV, we got about five episodes that are about 12, 10 to 12 minutes long, and they actually go into detail of a lot of stuff we covered. Um, outside of that, I'm actually we have two new uh, supplemental products coming out. One's actually a skincare serum. Oh, cool. And I this, didn't know that. It's kind of like a passion product, passion <laughs> project for me, just because the last five years I've studied I studied these topics and um, just some gaps that I saw and wanted to address and um, provide quality to the market into the, some things that aren't out there right now. Very so cool. So there's a skincare serum coming out, and then we also have a collagen peptide formula coming out. Nice. And it's actually, um, that one's going to be very cool, too, because it's working on a lot of different pathways as to why we gain weight, but also why our skin begins to break down. Yeah. So. Perfect. So go follow at Train Vive. If you want to see any of the workouts that we do, I'm sure John would love for us to do an um, IG stories or IGTV. Um, if you have any questions about what we're doing in the gym, let us know. We'll give you a visual because sometimes it's hard to express mm -hmm. it through True. audio. But we enjoyed this so much. I hope you did too. We appreciate you listening. And I mean, get out there, start moving. Just do something and you'll see progression. Just start. I love it. your passion into a business of Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.